Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tavern Up Podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, you'll probably notice that I am laughing before we start this. It's because Ian has had a few drinks and has immediately uh, made a reference to a very old Shawn Michaels video. Um, I'm not sure if anyone's seen it. It's from probably the 90s. It's where there's a wrestler called Shawn Michaels who walks down the, it's not an aisle, is it? It's like the ramp. And then he starts insinuating that some fan at the side is doing some sort of Fellatio. I think I think you discussed it a couple of weeks ago, and my in in uh, inclination was that's what your mum was doing to me last night. Yeah, it, it was, it was. But even funnier than that, Ian just before that was telling me a story about which I don't think we've mentioned on this podcast, have we? About the signed Luis Suarez shirt that you've got. Oh, we're going <laughs> like that, are we? It's like this is how we're this is how we're starting today, is it? <laughs> Would you like to tell everyone listening about the uh, the signed, very authentic Luis Suarez shirt that you've got? I'm 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 happy to share one of the most low points of my life, which was uh, me and my missus split up. Um, <laughs> as a cheer, a way to cheer me up, I decided to uh, was just looking online, and I thought to myself, "Yeah, I'm going to get some memorabilia." So I bought a um, what I thought was a signed Luis Suarez shirt. Um, bought it, fucking delighted with myself. Happy as Larry, it turns up. Me what year was this, by the way? Sorry, what, what year did you buy this? Because you're obviously back with your missus now. So how long ago uh, this? Uh, this was a good 2001, probably a couple of years ago at least. So this was a couple probably of years maybe ago. a couple of, couple of, couple of years, uh, probably a couple of weeks before we started working together. So not 2001 uh, then, because that would be 22 years ago. Uh, so, uh, all right. 2021. 2021. <laughs> and uh, I remember being really stoked about it, really happy, pointing it out to you and said, yeah, yeah, I fucking got this fucking bargain. I got this fucking line, signed Lewis Suarez shirt. You know how much I love Suarez. Everybody who listens knows how much I love Suarez. Uh, and you go to me something along the lines of the certificate of authenticity. I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, I, I'm not a mug. I don't buy bullshit. I look at the authenticity, and the certificate certificate of authenticity says this is a replica of a signed Luis Suarez shirt signed by a robot. <laughs> so your first interaction with me is like. Who is this dick face that buys a, a shirt signed by a robot? So, um, yeah, that that was that that wasn't a great start to our working relationship. It didn't put me on the highest footing, probably in your level. You probably thought, "Who the fuck is this clown that's going to be my my mentor?" However, I would like to point out, I do have a signed Mike Tyson glove, which is a hundred percent genuine with full authenticity uh which was bought by my kindly very kindly by my father and my sister for my 40th birthday and is my prized possession yeah so that 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 is uh my prized possession if my house was on fire and there was one thing i could save it would not be my missus it would be my mike tyson glove there's no doubt whatsoever i would be flying in grabbing that glove and out like a fucking rocket. She can fucking walk out herself. She's got legs. You could use the um, 
signed Luis Suarez shirt to fan the flames as well, couldn't you? Well, I could use that to carry out as as a sh- as a shield to put to, to fan the flames as I carry out the genuine Mike Tyson glove, which is in a very nice box and presentation box. Which, um, but it's certainly not one of the highest points of my career, and certainly when we started working together, thinking to myself, oh my God, this guy must think I'm a fucking prick. Where is that? Which I'm sure you still do. Let's be oh, fair. Yeah, obviously. Sure two years, nothing has changed. But yeah, it definitely didn't start me in the highest esteem. Where is the um, Mike Tyson boxing glove? Do you have it like on a mantelpiece somewhere? Do you have it? Uh, it's in my bedroom. I have it on the uh, side of my bedroom. It has prior possession, but I'm in the current position of uh, in line with what we're doing and in, in increasing our um, reach for the podcast. I am one of the one of the spare bedrooms I'm turning into a podcast studio and I intend in that podcast studio to have my fake Luis Suarez shirt on one wall and on another wall to have my signed Mike Tyson glove. And the only thing I'm missing, but I can't find anything less than two and a half grand is a signed Michael Jordan jersey. But I will not get bummed on that. I will look for the genuine item. But that that's those three for me. If I could get those three covered, I'm pretty happy. I've just said I've just found here Michael Jordan signed large A2 printed autograph. £64. So you could go next. Oh, okay. I don't want an autograph. I want a Chicago Bulls 23 shirt with Michael Jordan on it. And the best I could look when I looked for some serious time was two and a half grand. I which... can see one here for 400, which isn't actually too bad. Um, in terms Send me the of... fucking link. I might buy that <laughs> shit tonight, given I've had a few beers. As long as it's not signed by a fucking robot. But uh, if that's a genuine one, then I'm in. Yeah, there's, uh, there's 14 viewers. It's on eBay, so it's never something that you can be entirely certain of. But it says... Um... Only selling it due to moving house and not having anywhere to display it. Because, of course, you definitely sell something as valuable as that. One second. I have someone at the door. I don't really know why. So we've just had to have a a random interruption there halfway through. Very rudely interrupted by someone banging on Ian's door and and window by the sounds of it. Incredibly rudely. Not banging on my door banging on my fucking window as though there's some kind of fucking fire outside. I'm like, who's this cunt? So I've already locked the door up. Miss is out for the Christmas do. So I've locked the door doing this. Go there. Some pizza delivery guy. You ordered a pizza. I'm like, no. And he's like, someone's ordered a pizza and hasn't told me what number. And I look at him and I'm like, does that look like a fucking me problem? It's not me. Fuck off. I'm in the middle of something. So... You should yeah. have taken it. Uh, to be fair, I probably should have. Thinking about it now, I'm absolutely should have taken it. Exactly. I, didn't, I don't know why I didn't do Go that. And I should have fucked him over. Okay, wait, wait there. Pause it. I'm going back. <laughs> should have got him on podcast. Mate, the, the cheek literally wrapped on the fucking window like there's some fucking... I'm going to fire him. Like, the fuck are you doing on my fucking window, motherfucker? So just to, to clarify, I'm going to clearly need to put the explicit logo on this episode tonight because I think you've used <laughs> colourful language within the first seven and a half minutes of this. But anyway, on a different note, um, <laughs> it's been a fairly quiet week, in all honesty. Um, 
there hasn't really been that much happened fight-wise. Uh, I know we've got a fight night this weekend. Do you want to run through that first? Yeah, it's not a great one, is it? It's another... Um, so this is UFC fight night Austin. Um, not a bad main event. Again, we, we, we often frequently and rather probably boringly say that fight nights are held up by the the one main fight. So we have um, Benel Dariush, number four ranked UFC lightweight fight in Arman. <laughs> I'm not even going to give his try and say Go his on. name. Shurian, I believe, number eight ranked lightweight. Um, good fight. I think in terms of caliber of fighters, both very close. Um, I definitely give the advantage to Dariush. Dariush is very underrated um, and has probably been deserving of at least a title fight or a, a title eliminator for some time now. Um, but that is the headline bout. Um, should be a good scrap. Certainly not one I'll be getting up for. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I don't... I... I don't remember the last time that I got up early for a fight night, to be honest. It tends not to be something that we do. I like to cover everything, obviously, but it's not going to set the world alight, is this? And there's not really much that's going to fall out of it. Um, Dariush is always fun to watch. I but... mean, to, I'll, I'll be honest with you, just to, just to call out on that, it, as fight nights go, it's the best fight night card for a long time in terms of number of fights. So it's not saying much though, is it? it? It's not saying much, but if we take, we take the number one fight out of it, which I would probably give it to Dariush. I think it would be a decision, both very durable fighters, both very well-rounded, not particularly um, amazing at any aspect of MMA, but very good in, you know, six out of tens in striking, grappling, wrestling, etc. So it'd be a very close fight, but I would definitely give the edge to Dariush, probably by decision, if you were you were asking me for a pick. Uh, co-main event is a lightweight bout with um, Bobby Green. I can't remember who he was supposed to be fighting, who has fallen out. So uh, he's been repl- whoever fell out has been replaced by um, Jalen Turner, which actually probably turns out to be a better fight because this is now the number twelve ranked lightweight versus the number thirteen ranked lightweight. So incredibly close in terms of rankings. Bobby Green, big fan of his, to be honest with you, veteran. You know what you're going to get with him. He's going to he's going to knock out or he's going to get knocked out. He he, he he brings it in every fight. He's usually a, a, an exciting fighter to watch. I've got, I can't profess to know a great deal about Turner. And I'm quite surprised that he's actually ranked 12, which is higher than Bobby Green. So he is one that snuck under my radar. I'm not going to lie. So um, be interesting to see how that one folds out. You've then got rather ironically, which is considerably going down the card, uh, bantamweight bout. This should definitely be the co-main event. You've got um, number eight ranked Rob Font, who's no joke and very again gatekeeper. I know we use that term a lot. Beats a lot of guys, loses to the top guys, but he is taking on uh, Figgy in Figgy's um, bantamweight debut. Obviously, Figgy 
has had the quadrology uh, with Moreno at flyweight. Still ranked as number two in the flyweight division, but he's stepping up. Um, so that is a is a decent fight, and that's you know he's, he's being thrown straight in. He's not being given an easy fight against Font. So um, I've got to be honest. I don't think the weight difference there will make much of a difference, and I could see Figgy winning that quite easily. If I'm honest with you, probably by submission. Um, and the final one that I would mention is that is the fourth fight, which again is quite an impressive fight for a fight night. You've got Sean Brady at welterweight, uh, ranked number nine, fighting Kevin Gastelum, uh, who is the number eleven ranked middleweight. Great stat for you here. This is the first time in nine years Gastelum has made welterweight. So he missed he's, he's missed weight on like three or four occasions. Um, he's just too big normally, but he made weight today. So it, the fight is on, uh, and he's always been one of those in in betweeners. Um, you know, not really big enough for middleweight because he's he's relatively small in stature, but quite stout. Um, he should definitely be fighting at welterweight, but always misses weight. But this is the first time in nine years he's made the 170 pound mark. And you're still not going to stay up to watch it. All that hard work he's done and you're still not going to stay up. No, because I think I've got a good Sunday because I'm out in York with the missus. I've said to her, we'll go Christmas shopping Saturday. Liverpool play Sunday, obviously, because of Europe. So we've got Fulham at two o'clock on Sunday. So Sunday has already been uh, laid down in the uh, household as a football day. I'll just get up a bit earlier and watch those four fights, I think. But um, as as fight nights go, given the usual stick that we give them, that's four pretty decent fights. And you've even got a fifth fight, quite Clay Guida. Uh, very much a veteran, unranked, but again, you know what you bring. Absolutely, completely wild and crazy style. Always fun to watch. Will get knocked out or knock someone out. So, uh, to be totally honest, as fight nights go, it's definitely the best for for a long period of time in terms of fight quality. Have you tried the uh, forged Irish stout? Uh, I haven't because um, I hear it costs a lot of money uh, in terms <laughs> well, of... Uh, certainly um, Black Forge is us uh, to run, uh, which is obviously Conor McGregor's pub up in Ireland. I can't profess to know exactly where it is. Is it Dublin? Clearly Dublin. I think it's Crumlin, which is the area of Dublin that he grew up, I believe. Fair enough. Um, they've posted losses of £2 million since 2021. Now, I... I've made a point of trying to get into stout for the last few weeks and I have had the piss ripped out of me consistently. And it's actually, funnily enough, ended up with my missus preferring Guinness um, as much as I've tried it. She actually now wants to get Guinnesses every time she goes out. So it's strange to me. But tried that. I have tried um, the Brewdog one, Blackheart. Not had the fortune of being able to try forged Irish stout. Apparently it's quite nice, but I'm assuming it tastes like everything else. 
It's not that nice, though, is it? Clearly, if they're losing quite a bit of money at the the main hub of it. Well, I, I keep telling you, Stout. I, I I love a Guinness, as you know. Every time I go out, I drink Guinness. Can hear that you love is, a Guinness. Stout is fucking revolting. Any other stout bar Guinness tastes like dog shit. But um, this is obviously past the stout itself. This is the pub. Obviously, someone like Connor, you would imagine, is not... I've seen some pictures and some videos of inside the pub. It clearly looks like he's gone for it in terms of making it look a pretty amazing pub you know amazing atmosphere uh and again let's be honest here that someone like mcgregor with the money he's got posting a loss of two million some people would say oh my god that's terrible what a horrendous decision i look at that rather cynically as that's a very good tax efficient way of reducing his income tax because he can post the losses against the uh, earnings he's had. So um, I'm not quite so sure. I believe that, you know, in quite the same manner that someone having a quick glance of that would be like, oh, my God, he's posted losses of two million. That feels like a tax efficient way of him planning his tax affairs, which is clearly tax avoidance which is a completely legal, just to be clear, not tax evasion. But um, apart from that, I can't profess to know any more than that. Well, he describes it as the smoothest, the creamiest and the freshest stout that enthusiasts can experience. Um, it looks like oil. They all look like oil. I'm, I'm not a fan of, of Guinness. I, I can never get into it. I've tried. I've tried my very best. I think it looks a little bit cool. The idea of drinking something that looks like chocolate milk with a bit of uh with a bit of cream on the top it's just not for me it, it's horrendous so i can't imagine this tastes much better but he, he's obviously doing well with it he was closing on being a billionaire i think um that's dollar wise uh to clarify earlier this year i think it was around may he said he was on the verge of being um a billionaire as i say and in terms of forge as a whole i think it's proven quite popular Obviously, a pub in Dublin isn't necessarily the same as the actual brand itself. You've seen, if you watch any recent boxing events with DeZone, he's all over boxes shorts. He's all over the ring. Um, just to clarify again, that is Forged Irish Stout, not Conor McGregor all over boxes shorts, because that would be weird. But yeah, it, it's just interesting to see. And it might well be tax evasion. Avoidance, Out of curiosity, whatever. is that forged Irish stout as in the brand of alcohol and beer as opposed to the black forged in? Because it's yes. the in that has lost the $2 million, Correct. not the brand itself. Yeah, so he doesn't advertise. So when you see it on the, um, the zone and all that sort of stuff, and whenever he, he tries to put these adverts out, it's all about the actual brand itself, not of anything to do with the pub. The pub is sort of an afterthought, in all honesty, I think. Obviously, I don't know his business mentality. I'd be honest, I don't even think he's been anywhere near it. He'll probably be there, what, once, twice a year maximum. It'll be left for everyone else to deal with. He's just bothered about the marketing of the actual new stout and the money that comes along with it. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, clever business people, you want to offset your earnings with your 
losses. So if you make a loss, you spend a shitload of money on advertising that costs you five, 10 million pounds in a negative aspect of the branding and trying to increase that brand awareness, that's tax deductible. So as a business person, that would be the sensible thing to do. And if I was a multi, multi millionaire like Connor, I would certainly be doing that. I've got mates that are accountants. I know a fair bit about tax affairs, I would say, as a as a lay person. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a bad move. It, 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 on the face of it, you read the headline and you're like, oh, my God, fuck, he's lost two million. It's not anywhere near as bad as that. So it's inconsequential um, to him anyway. And even if he had have lost, if someone had taken two million off him and set fire to it, I don't think he's really going to care or be bothered. He probably met that back well within a year. Um, if you had to give a, a Mount Rushmore of MMA fighters, Ian, who would you put on it? Uh, with that, well, you, you, you're leading from my notes because I know that we discussed earlier you've done zero prep for this uh, podcast whatsoever. So don't try and steal my notes because you've done absolutely nothing here. So uh, what, what you're referring to is Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Johnson, has given his own Mount Rushmore of MMA fighters. Uh, are we correct? I, 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 tried, I tried to lead you on there in the nicest way possible, and you tried to absolutely slam me down and, and out half of this podcast. This is all live. Some of us have lives. I've obviously been in the gym all night, smashing uh... Snickers, triple threat. Some of us have been at home, smashing their fourth rum of the night. I've just spat all my microphone as well. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's a team. It's a team, is this, Ian? Let's not. I agree. When 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 you completely drop the ball and do zero prep, I pick up all of the slack and carry the whole podcast. But uh, yeah, Mighty Mouse was interviewed this week uh, in terms of we have talked before about the, 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 the classic Mount Rushmore in terms of the four... Um, Pillars of MMA, if you like. Um, Mighty Mouse, Not, I, I mean, th- this was quite a surprise for me because he's quite a humble guy. He is incredibly talented and often slept on, but um, actually put himself at number two in the Mount Mushroom of uh, MMA. Um, he put John Jones as number one, which I think most people would probably... It's very hard to to, to disagree with. Uh, GSP number three, Anderson Silver number four was his Mount Rushmore. And as a respected MMA practitioner and someone who is as good as Mighty Mouse and underrated as him, you certainly have to take his opinions into consideration. Um to be totally honest with you, apart from that, that, those four, apart from Khabib, it's probably hard to argue, if you're completely honest. So you'd agree with them? I possibly would, do you know? I, I, I think <laughs> Mighty Mouse at number two might be an issue for me. I, I, I would probably have GSP and Anderson Silva above Mighty Mouse, but Mighty Mouse is undoubtedly slept on in terms of his contribution to MMA, the the sterling record he had with the UFC, the number of title wins he had, purely because he was a lighter weight um, and, you know, not quite as exciting as a, 
a Derek Lewis, a Pavlovich, an Aspinall who's just laying people out. But in terms of complete and utter rounded skill, he is easily one of the top five. I know we're talking top four here, but top five most talented MMA practitioners ever. So I personally couldn't have a great deal of argument with that top four, if I'm perfectly honest with you. Obviously, you'd take out John Jones and you'd put in uh, Tommy Aspinall, considering that he'd take his head off if they ever had a fight these days. But um, yeah, top four is pretty much, it's all right. It's all right. I just thought it was worth mentioning. I saw saw it. I just just thought it was unlike my, Demetrius Johnson is a pretty humble guy. I mean, again, anyone who's seen, and we've talked about it before, but one of the greatest moves of all time is the suplex to armbar finish that he did. Easily top three, one of the greatest finishes ever in MMA, not only in the UFC, in MMA ever. Picks the guy up, slams him down, mid-air puts on an armbar and puts it on. Absolutely incredible skill and apparently practiced that to death in uh, practice. So um, he's definitely someone that is slept on in terms of his um, his level and how high a ranked as a general pound for pound and a general great he is. So um, I, I, I don't blame him in some ways, if I'm being honest, for putting himself in the top four. I think he, he, he certainly deserves to be around that number. Um, Anderson Silva for me has always been the run that Silva had, I believe it was 2006 to 2011 was simply incredible. Just unlike anything anyone had seen before at middleweight went up twice to light heavyweight was like, what, what, like literally like watching someone fight in the matrix, the way that he would dodge that, that particularly the forest Griffin fight at light heavyweight the way that he dodged those punches and laid him out with a backwards jab is incredible. And again, I know Anderson had a big slide, probably fought too long, if we're being completely honest, into his late 30s. But you talk about prime Anderson Silva and you get people talking about people like Izzy, someone like that. Prime Anderson Silva kills prime Izzy without any doubt whatsoever at middleweight. It's not even a remote contest for me personally. Do you want to continue with your own notes? I won't want to steal it in terms of what you've written down. Obviously, uh, this is your hard work, Irian. So. I, hard, my hard work because you've done no work. But um, so, I'm the face. Uh, I'm the pretty guy of the, uh, the organisation. You're the brains. Obviously, people... Uh, Tune in just to hear me and, and my articulation and beautiful face. And then they get a bit of your knowledge on side. Tune they? in to see a beautiful face that no one can see because it's an audio podcast. But OK, fair enough. Um, but <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. One, one thing that I, d- I did see again, obviously, it's been a quiet week. So we are struggling a little bit here. But the PFL have alleged, and I say alleged in super inverted commas, that there is an offer on the table for Nate Diaz to fight Jake Paul under MMA rules for $15 million, and Nate Diaz has turned it down. I do not really? believe that for a fucking second. 
because Nate Diaz would choke that bitch out in less than a minute and to make 15 minutes, $15 million in that period of time sounds ridiculous. So that sounds like complete and utter hyperbole nonsense to me. But I read it. It was it, it was it was on a couple of legitimate sources, but for me, absolute nonsense because yes, Jake Paul won the boxing match. Yes, there's a big weight difference between them. MMA is completely different, and you are talking about a elite of the elite black belt. And I don't care how much Jake Paul has been training jiu-jitsu, if he's been training for the last year, he doesn't stand an a chance whatsoever against Nate on the floor if it goes down. So why Nate wouldn't just take that $15 million, smash him and put him back in his place, I do not know. But the fact that it's even rumoured makes me believe that it's not true because why would Diaz turn that kind of money down? Yeah, it sounds absolute nonsense. Surely he'd just, it'd absolutely smash him. So... Yeah, I, I can't understand any sort of logic behind that whatsoever. Totally agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, got a quick one for you in terms of Dana White has teased, again, in inverted commas, don't like using that, a super fight coming up next year uh, without Conor McGregor. So this, and I, I, I no clue whatsoever to who this is. So this is a discussion point for me and you. I thought I'd put in there, I've got ideas. Who are we talking here? So if he, if he's teasing a super fight, who could that possibly be in terms of getting the crowd and the people on side? I've got a couple of suggestions written down just for you to, uh, to mull over before you give me your answer. Go on. Poetang versus Izzy. But... I wouldn't one. I wouldn't call that a super fight, and we know that Izzy has given this ridiculous excuse of three years off. So I, I think that's off the table. The one that I would say is most likely Islam versus Edwards. So Islam goes up if Edwards beats Colvington, as we certainly hope and expect at welterweight. Is that the fight? The only other one I've got on there, which we've both discussed before and we don't think will happen, is Jones Aspinall. But by all means, discuss and tell me if you think you've got any other views of what could be classed as a super fight. Wrong, wrong and wrong. It's I've, I've told you about it, what it is this week, and I can't believe that you've completely disregarded it. I don't see any notes about this in what you've written, so I'm very disappointed in you. UFC 297, January 20th, 2024. The fight is Kevin Holland versus MVP. That's the super fight that he's referencing. That is not a super fight in anyone's... It's not. It is because it's MVP who people have wanted in the UFC for quite a while. Um, That's your super fight. I'm 100% telling you, it isn't what you think. It's not two fantastic fighters against each other. It's... MVP versus Kevin Holland, 100%. The backlash that he would get for calling that a super fight would be beyond belief. If I, I, 
you might be right. I'm not going to necessarily disagree with you, but if if Dana Dana doesn't tend to be particularly hyperbolic, if he's calling that a super fight, that's fucking bullshit. Telling you, absolute what, bullshit. What else do you think it could possibly be? Islam Edwards is the only one for me that makes any remote sense. It makes sense, but I don't see it. I, I just do not see it in terms of how that will work. Um, Super fight, though, ten, that, that there's certain connotations in, in the MMA world with Super fight. Super fight would tend to imply either two of the best... That, 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 Two of the best by a mile in their division, or a cross divisional, you know, someone stepping up, someone stepping down, that type of thing. For me, if MVP is being just talked about as that, that is such hyperbolic bullshit. And Dana doesn't usually, to be fair to him, engage in that. So I'm not necessarily saying you're wrong, but he is, that would be one of the first times I would say Dana's been that way. But for me, the only one that makes legitimate sense would be Islam Edwards, if Edwards beats Covington, which we hope. Have you seen some of the suggestions from fans online? Um, obviously, some have said the three that you've mentioned. Someone said John Jones versus Ngannou. Uh, I'd put my mortgage on the fact that Mate, it will not I would be that. literally get my dick out and have a wank now, There's... if that's the case. It's not like that. It. It's, it's not. It's, that's not going to happen. So I, I'm pretty sure that's not... I, I'm 100% safe I don't have to do that, but that absolutely would be a super fight and unbelievable, but not going to happen. It's an impossible fight. That's why it's not going to happen. Just not um, going to happen. Full stop. Holloway Gagey? No, not a super fight. Um, a potential return by Nate Diaz? Not a super fight. But you see what I mean? So it, there's nothing that is going to tally up to your expectations there and nothing at all Ed, you edwards count... islam is that is that is a super fight because you are talking champ champ status for islam and against someone edwards in terms of how good he is if he beats covington that's the only one for me that legitimately you could argue from everything we've just discussed there would remotely class as a, as a super fight they can't class that as a super fight and they can't organize that as a super fight while they've got other fights organized because like you say let's say edwards gets his head kicked off or battered by colby next thing that fight is not a super fight anymore because it's not a champ champ status it is someone who has just come off the back of a loss fighting arguably one of the best people in the ufc um and obviously not every fight involving Islam can be classified as a super fight in that sense. So I don't think it's that. I, st- I think it's MVP. I-, I think it is being blown out of proportion because this is what sells. And if people think, oh, yeah, we're getting ready for a, a big super fight. I cannot wait. I hope it's, obviously it's not Conor McGregor, but I hope it's like you're speculating. Um, Islam Edwards, I hope that Volk is going to have another go at Islam but he's going to have the training behind him, all that type of stuff, and it'll turn out to be something menial. MVP in the UFC is is brilliant, don't get me wrong, but I agree it's not a super fight what we would classify, but I think it'll classify as one in the business decision. Yeah, uh, and you may well be right. I'm 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 not going to disagree with you. The only thing is, I say, 
Dana doesn't tend to get too carried away with that kind of shit. And I'm not sure he would have said super fight. He might have said a special fight, uh, a particularly good fight. I'm not quite sure he would have described it as that if it wasn't something that would get us carried away in the way that we're talking now. So it'll be interesting to see. But for me, if I if I had any money, it would be Islam Edwards. If Edward, but as you say, there's obviously a big if because Edwards has got to get through Colvington, which is definitely not guaranteed, given Colvington's grinding and horrendous style, which not necessarily is a good matchup for Edwards. But that would be the only one for me that I would personally class out of everything we've discussed there as a super fight. That would be a super fight because you've got a guy that is the lightweight champion smashed twice the pound-for-pound champion in terms of Volk, all right, lower weight, and is then stepping up to fight the guy that has defended um, the weight title on a few occasions. That's the only one that remotely would come close to being able to be called a super fight. So um, we'll wait and see. And time will tell. Any more from him here? I know you've got a couple more notes that you wanted to mention. A couple more. I mean, you've got to talk about this one. This was so this was before um last week's um I think it was a fight night, whatever it was. Um it was a UFC event, let's call it that. I can't even remember what the fuck it was. Too many beers in. Um, but there was one of these um political let, let, let's stay neutral in terms of our views on political side of things a political protest so it was a pro palestine protest as i understand it and they were trying to stop traffic um during the traffic was a ufc bus on the ufc bus was robbie lawler and jamal hill the UFC bus decided to take the view of fuck these protesters will drive through them, at which point the protesters decided to start throwing bricks, smashing the windows, causing mayhem. Can you imagine a worse situation than breaking windows and causing mayhem with two of the best knockout artists in the UFC? And as much as I would never wish harm on anyone, everybody is entitled to... I'm all for, at the end of the day, if you want to protest and waste your time standing in the street being a fucking loser, go for it. But those people that threw those bricks should class themselves as fucking lucky those two guys didn't get off the bus and lay the fuck out some people. Because if there were some people I would not want to be stopping on a bus breaking windows, potentially causing injury too in terms of the broken glass, it would be Robbie Lawler and Jamar Hill. I think the protesters got away lucky. I reckon I could take them, personally. I might get a just-up oil top. and um, I'm going uh, uh, <laughs> to message Jamal. Jamal, I've got a guy here that says he can fucking stop you. See what he says. But... Um, yeah, like, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll just, take him on as long as it ain't Daryl Smith. Because uh, I, I just can't help but feel the guys. It, it just in terms of a mistake of, I'm sure they didn't know 
who they were dealing with. But equally, I think it shows you the quality and the niceness of those fighters that they didn't get up and say, do you know what? Fuck this. Because I tell you what, if I was on that bus, some motherfuckers are smashing windows and I'm a UFC fighter, I'm getting out and I'm laying some fucking people out. I'll tell you what, Jamal Hill gets out, lays out a couple of fucking protesters. That fucking protest scatters before you know it. So I think those guys got very, very fortunate, if I'm being completely honest. Um, the only other point I've got on there is to do with uh, Dracus Duplicis. So obviously Duplicis has now been um, finally and deservedly so might I add um, given his title shot against Sean Strickland I think it's 297 uh, in January um, come out and giving it the pretty big balls which is never a particularly good sign but he's given it that he's already targeting champ champ status and in his eyes he is going to beat Strickland and win the middleweight title and will immediately move up to light heavyweight to fight on Powertang uh, and take um, the light heavyweight title. The only thing I would say, which is as ridiculous as that sounds, is uh, Duplessis is a fucking huge guy and after Powertang must have the biggest or obviously Paratang is now the light heavyweight champ so it doesn't have to do it anymore but must have the harshest weight cut to make middleweight because he is absolutely huge he must be cutting 30 or 40 pounds to make middleweight and Paratang Duplicis is a fight I would really like to see um Obviously, we know Jamal Hill has got the next fight against Paratang, depending on the timeline of his recovery from his, his injury. But let's say uh, Duplicis does go out and smash Strickland, which certainly is a possibility. I would love to see that fight. That is a fight I would very much like to see. We're getting this a lot with fighters in the UFC. We had this, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, with Tapura, who had essentially already written out his career, the confidence, I'm going to smash Falk, I'm going to take on Holloway, and then I'm going to go beat Canelo in boxing, which is obviously a, a very, I'm sure, viable route for him to take to become not only the best UFC fighter in the world, but also the best boxer in the world. And so we're getting this again with Duplicis. I don't know if the overconfidence translates well in this sport, in all honesty. More often than not, other than someone like Don, John Jones or Khabib, but Khabib didn't really have that type of persona. If you give it the big one, you're going to get smashed. Strickland obviously has, has turned into a bit of a superstar overnight, having won it and becoming the title holder has kept to his guns. He's still sticking to that confidence. Um, but essentially, I think he's going to get to the point where he's also going to get knocked out. He's going to lose it, and that's what everyone seems to do. And it always seems to catch up on you just karma in, in the fight game. So I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about Tipura. I probably think Strickland takes him out, to be honest, and, and that'll completely derail this, and it's not beyond the realms of possibility for that to happen. And I think he probably goes into this as a favourite anyway. So 
I think he does, and, and and you definitely cannot sleep on Strickland. He proved that against Izzy, what a fantastic boxer and stand-up fighter he is. But Duplicis has a very high-level black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's got very good wrestling, and if he's got anything about him, he's not going to stand and trade with Strickland. He's going to be looking to take him down. He's going to be looking to smother him on the ground, and he's going to be looking to impose his will on him to stop Strickland's incredible boxing, which Strickland might have the best boxing in the middleweight division easily. So um, it, it's a good fight. So it's, it, that's definitely one I would get up for. I, I'm not. I'm not sure where two nine seven is in terms of location wise and timing, but that is definitely a main event that gets me involved. Canada, Toronto, Canada. It is in. So um, that's a shit one for us. Yeah. <laughs> they always are, unless it's Europe or unless it's um, London, ideally. But if um, you ever look, I'm, I'm telling you, look at him. Look at Dutrikis. He's a fucking monstrous guy. <laughs> he is. Who? What did you just call him? Duplicis. <laughs> look, check him out. Look at him. He is a monster of a man he is how as you say how he makes middleweight i have no idea he he he's power tang level of he probably walks around at 230 240 he is absolutely huge and the weight cut he must go through and I, i can't imagine he's got many more and should he depending on the outcome of this fight whether he loses or wins the title i would guess he might move up to light heavyweight anyway, but he is a fucking huge guy. Uh, and as you say, that he, he's the biggest I've seen fight at that weight since Poetang in terms of weight cut. He Strickland, pretty slender, probably doesn't have to cut more than 10, 15 pounds to make that weight. The Plissis is ridiculous. But as you say, he, he's shredded, he's ripped, he's massive. You, you look at him next to people. That that that's when you notice it. When you stand, he's standing next to other fighters, and you're like, "Fuck me, he is huge." So I can't see he has got a great deal longer, particularly at his age at middleweight. If I'm perfectly honest, I've got to talk about VAR again, Ian. And I know you're sick of talking about it. I know I'm sick of talking about it. I know everyone's sick of hearing about it. But it's in the news again. It is causing more trouble than it's worth. I am a very big, big advocate for VAR in general. I think if it works as it's supposed to do, it would be an absolute godsend. But it's not working as it's supposed to do. And we've had it for a number of years now, and it's still not getting any better. In fact, progressively, it's getting worse. Um, there was a, a massive... definitely getting worse. It, it is, isn't it? It, it really is. It's definitely it, getting worse. There were a massive incident in the Wolves and, in fact, a a number of massive incidents in the Wolves and Fulham game um, in the recent week. Essentially, Fulham were given a ridiculous penalty and there's no way on earth that it's a penalty. It's quite clearly a dive. Uh, They avoided having a man sent off for a headbutt, which, again, I'm not entirely sure how they can get away with it unless the Wolves player, and I can't remember who it was, threw himself to the floor would that have made it better? And then obviously you're advocating for diving, which is wrong. The referee made a massive hash of it. VAR doesn't help the referee. 
and then they lose um, at the very end with this last-minute penalty. I know that Gary O'Neill came out and essentially said, look, what am I supposed to do here? If I criticise, I get fined, but my team is being affected. The fans of the team are affected because they're they're watching their team lose, and it's as a result of dodgy decisions, and Wolves have had quite a few against them um, in recent weeks and over the course of the season. You'll remember the, the Manchester United one where the clown keeper of the world made an absolute hash of it and Wolves should have won that game um, or drawn that game. Either way, they, they shouldn't have lost. Um, and then, obviously, you had the um, issue midweek in the Champions League. Newcastle, a win against PSG would have put them on course for qualification. They would have been right back in it. They would have essentially been not comfortable, but far more likely to qualify. And then all of a sudden, 98th minute or 97th minute, the most ridiculous penalty I have ever seen be given by VAR. And I've seen a lot of ridiculous ones. It reminded me, and this is a bit of a niche one, of the first week that Leeds returned to the Premier League where we played you. And you got a penalty. And obviously you won that game. You got a penalty against us for a a kick against Robin Cox's arm. And it was... You're talking maybe three yards to get away. And obviously, they've changed the ruling since. It's far more lenient with regards to ball to hand. This is a a kick. And again, I can't remember the players off the top of my head. I should look this up. This is a problem for making, not making notes. But it's a kick from about three yards away, if that. It bounces off the Newcastle United player's chest, hits him on the bottom of the arm. So he's got no way whatsoever of getting out of the way. And the referee gives it for the penalty. Now, obviously, Mbappe scores because that's what Mbappe does. But a draw means that Newcastle are now potentially struggling to qualify. And, you know, this season in terms of their Premier League um, campaign, they're not looking like a top four team anymore. So it affects things significantly, affects the finances of the club, it affects the fans who are getting very, very, very frustrated. And I don't think realistically people are able to make a good, compelling argument for VAR in the format that it is because it's affecting reputations and it's affecting livelihoods. And I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to suggest. I'm like Gary O'Neill this week, because what else can we say about this? Uh, I don't disagree with you. And I know Gary O'Neill even made a comment along the lines of, my fucking job's on the line here, because you can't yeah. keep getting this wrong, which I can't disagree with. I um, I, I've got to be honest, I didn't see the Newcastle uh, penalty, so I can't comment on that. Um, I hear what you're saying um, in terms of Newcastle are struggling this year. I think it was always, if we're being honest, we called this last year, it was going to be a struggle for Newcastle with the team that they've got. They've got a good team, but not a good squad. Affected particularly by Tenali's ban, and their injuries, um, they've had a number of injuries. And, and injuries as well, that competing on both... I think a lot of teams misunderestimate the impact of competing on both fronts, trying to concentrate on Europe and the Premier League. Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday takes a massive toll compared to Newcastle the season before when they had a game a week. I think that is a is a huge point that teams underestimate the impact that that has. So I wouldn't say I have no sympathy for them because I do, but I think equally when they've got the backing of the the Saudis that they do, they could have gone out and got some more players in terms of squad players 
to fill that squad out to allow them to do that. But uh, I'll be honest, I didn't see the decision, so I, I wouldn't want to comment. Um, Mbappe is not a man you want to give a penalty away to. You know he's going to probably stick it away. Um, but we are far too frequently talking about VAR for it to be a good thing. It's impacted absolutely negatively on the game as opposed to positively as it should have been. No one, I think, in the whole world would agree that it's been a good thing for football. Some of the decisions, you, you, you get these really complex decisions they'll make in 10 seconds and you're like, what? And then there's there's decisions that seem entirely obvious that they'll take five minutes to make a decision over. There's the, the, the consistency is beyond reproach that you cannot even contemplate what's going on. So I, 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 I completely agree with that. Um, and... Newcastle, if we're being honest, you you were one of the first to set last season. For them to be back in the Champions League is a result for their fans. Even if they go out, I, d- I don't know. I've got to be honest again, I haven't studied the tables well enough. If they come third in the league, I know they go into a playoff in the Europa League because one of the yeah, good things which I was going to come on to is that Liverpool have won the league in their respective division in the Europa League. So we now get a break till March. The team that comes second in the Europa League plays the team that comes third in the Champions League for a position in the Europa League. So I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm entirely honest with you, and I probably should have done my research here, if that applies to Newcastle and if they're selling with the chance of having a chance carrying on in Europe in that respect. But... um it is ruining the game. That there is no doubt that the dis- the length of time they are taking, that the the decisions that they are getting wrong that are clearly very obviously one way and they're giving it the other, is absolutely fucking football over, and yeah. it's turning people off. With regards to to Newcastle, just to highlight what you said, so they sit third in their group at the moment. They're on uh, level points with Milan who are in fourth. Their goal difference is significantly better. Milan's is minus four, and they play Milan in the last game of the, the group. But what so if they get mean, a point against Milan, they would go through into the, if nothing the else, League. they would go into the Europa League playoff against the team second in one of the teams in the Europa League. Yeah, the problem is their qualification in terms of the Champions League, which is clearly more important to them and clearly more important to the fans, is now out of their hands. So if they win their final game against Milan, end up with eight points. If PSG pick up a point, obviously depends on how many goals Newcastle score in their game, but PSG could then go through on goal difference. If PSG win their game, then Newcastle are are absolutely out of the Champions League. There isn't any doubt about it. But what I would say in terms of VAR, my argument with this is I, I remember FA Cup 2018 when it was first trialed. And it was first trialed with, uh, I think Spurs were in the game. And I remember specifically, Pochettino was the manager of Spurs. And he said very, very specifically that if VAR continued and if they would use it indefinitely and use it in the Premier League and use it in English football, that fans would be unhappy. And lo and behold, we're now obviously five years on from that. 
and were unhappy about it. But the problem is modern football and the way that things work in modern football has stadium-going supporters like myself. Uh, I know yourself, you, you try to get to Liverpool patches when you can. Um, my friend travelled down to London to watch um, Arsenal and Lons uh, this week. Obviously, a fantastic result for them in the Champions League. But we're not important to football anymore because football in general is far more reliant on sponsors. It's far more reliant on broadcast revenues. Ticket sales are irrelevant. The, the amount of money that they're making ticket sales, especially in the, the Champions League and the Premier League, is inconsequential to everything else. So having VAR involved, who cares about these people in the stadium? Because all we care about is trying to get it right and trying to make sure that things are correct. But they're not getting it right. They're, they're not getting it correct. They're making decisions like Liverpool versus Spurs when we obviously went and it's a Scarborough and we ended up watching that. And that decision is absolutely horrendous. It's quite clearly wrong. And I think very importantly, when it comes to football, when it comes to officiating and when it comes to VAR, there is a leniency that fans are able to give officials that get it wrong in the ground. If it's slightly offside, if it's a foul beforehand and the referee hasn't give it, you sat there thinking, what a twat. He has caused my team to concede. He should have spotted that. That's ridiculous. That's then tenfold when you're saying, okay, we've stopped the game, we've reassessed that incident that's quite clearly wrong and we've still given it against you because that then spawns conspiracy theories. It spawns opinions where, well, the big six are going to get all the good decisions or the big teams in Europe are going to get the decisions. PSG can't go out. They contribute far too much to Europe and they contribute far too much to the Champions League in comparison to Newcastle, who are newcomers. Everything like that has to be taken into account and everything like that makes me re- honestly think that VAR needs to be scrapped. Unless they change this drastically, get rid of it and get rid of it ASAP. I, I, I can't disagree with you. I, I mean, again, it was brought in to better the game and make things simpler. It's added incredible time delays to 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 uh, situations which are completely unnecessary. Sometimes you get a decision in 10 seconds of something that looks really, really tight and should be reviewed. Sometimes they take 20 minutes to fucking review a decision which looks remotely onside. So again, back to that consistency point, there's no consistency whatsoever. I don't think it's been remotely a good thing for football generally. Um, and... To scrap it would just be the best thing that could possibly happen now. I think sometimes you've got to be able to look at yourself and just say, we made a mistake. They were trying. I, I, again, I, I, they, they, they tried. They were trying to do better. They were trying to make the game better. I can't disagree with the principle behind it, but it certainly hasn't worked out that way. Um, and... Um, Ultimately, I think when you get to that point that it has now, where it's just become ridiculous, there has something has to give. Either they have to get far better officials and they have to deal with something better, or they just have to say, fuck it, look, we made a mistake, let's go back. There's going to be an element of human error in anything. In any, any general walk of life, there is an element of human error. That's life. And the whole point of VAR was to eliminate that human error, but it hasn't done so. In fact, it's probably created more queries on human error. So 
the principle of the matter is just ridiculous for me. Um, and as you say, how much longer they put up with it before they either dispense with it or make some kind of changes is it, it, it just has to happen. It cannot carry on in the same vein that it, it is at the moment. You know, as well as I know, as well as everyone who's listened to this podcast, as well as every football fan knows that they won't admit that they've made a mistake and they certainly won't scrap it. Um, despite what we want, and I, I still think it's the best way, you look at the sports in which VAR and technology is used and technology is used effectively. Cricket, perfect, perfect example. It's used flawlessly more often than not. You watch a cricket game, you watch Hawkeye. Snicko, perfect. Snicko, Snicko. do you know what I mean? Snicko, perfect, literally perfect example. Oh, is there any touch? It doesn't look like it. Bang, Snicko. Yep, there's a touch. Out. Done. Exactly. Tennis. You watch tennis. Has that ball gone out? Let's watch it on the screen. We've got a challenge here. Oh, look, you can see where the shadow is. The ball landed there. It would have hit the line. It's out or it's not out. Either way. Rugby. Rugby. Oh, right, okay. He scored a try. Let's stop the clock because we stopped the clock anyway when someone scored. Let's assess it. We'll go upstairs. I think it's a try on field. Oh, look, we've, we've tested it. We think it is a try. Now, rugby is one of those that they still get it a little bit wrong. But the, the point that I'm making there, the specific thing about those three sports that I've highlighted is they are slow sports. So they have certain intricacies within them where the game will stop. The game naturally will come to a stop, most importantly, and those decisions can be made. No one sits there at cricket, having watched four hours straight of it when you're watching a test match, and thinks, hell, this is taking a long time for Snicko, isn't it? Oh, I'm going to go home. I can't stand this. Football is a free-flowing game. The time never stops. The time will never stop. They will never change that. They've tried to change that in terms of... Oh, they've tried to add to that, sorry, not change that, in terms of changing the stoppage time. They've tried to say, okay, well to take into account of the fact that we're taking seven hours to try and work out whether this is offside or not, we're going to make another added seven to 10 minutes at the end of each half, which just completely gets rid of the spontaneous nature of football. And I, I'm just at the end of my tether. There's, there's only so much that I can rant. At. People listen to this thinking, oh, okay, now this guy's had an ad day. And it's boring to talk about. We're getting to the point where obviously they're saying that they're going to introduce orange cards and all this nonsense and and allow VAR to interrupt more and get involved with free kicks and corners and blah, 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 blah. They're going to give this too much and football is going to die. Football is going to die very, very quickly in terms of the money that's been put into it and in terms of how it's been dealt with. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even aware of the orange card situation until you told me at the gym the other day and I was like, what a load of bullshit. Who on earth is watching a football match and saying, do you know what? We need a card in between red and yellow. That's exactly what we need to make this game better. That's just nonsense. But I feel like we've given this far too much emphasis over too many podcasts. So let's just skip past it because it's fucking bullshit. But what we've got to discuss, we've got to discuss the big game. Biggest game of the season so far, I think... As much as I'm biased, you would agree. Liverpool City at the weekend. Um, give me your thoughts before I give you my entirely biased thoughts. I'm going to say, I mean, my my best part of this and the funniest thing to come out of this game was me sending you a message saying, you've got away with one there. I thought it was two very good teams. One has a fantastic goal scorer. The other has Darwin Nunes. Um, text message I sent to you was, yeah, one all is probably about right, but 
they definitely got a goal that was disallowed that I just didn't agree with. You're like, no, definitely not. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You've got to agree with that. No, no, he pushed him twice. I'm like, I've watched this like three times. There's a slight nudge, if anything, but Alison makes a mess about it. Later in the week, you say, show me it. Right, let's have a look at it. And I showed you it and you're like, oh, I don't remember that bit. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> a completely different incident. Yeah, we were talking about the incident. I, th- I must have gone for a piss is the only thing I can imagine. I don't even remember the incident that you were talking about, but I remember the incident of when I can't even remember the guy that uh, was it, um, a kanji, basically literally pushed Allison first and then pushed him into the goal. 100% not a goal, never a chance in the world that that was a goal. Um we probably did get away of one, to be honest with you, uh, on, on that basis. I thought it was a pretty close game. I thought weak defending from us. You you can't defend like that against Haaland. Virgil, given how, how much I was saying how impervious he's been this season, was miles away from Haaland. And you give that guy a sniff and he puts it in. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I thought we grew into the game. City didn't. Uh, fantastic goal from Trent. You know, um, not w- the goal scorer that you would expect in that situation, but we grew into the game. Um, I think you would probably struggle. I mean, by all means, tell me if I'm being biased here, but I thought a draw was a fair result. I thought it it was a pretty even game. I don't think... Either team deserved to win. I thought, a, 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 a say, draw was a fair result. Yeah, I agree. Um, like I said to you, I think that the difference was that they have a world-class, if not the best striker in the world. And you've got Darwin Nunes, who I, I refuse to accept as a good, good enough striker for Liverpool, to be honest. I think you need to do better than that. Whether he's going to come good eventually, whether the teachings of Marcelo Bielsa are going to turn him into the Uruguayan uh, Patrick Bamford or not. I don't know, but the biggest or the the most impactful performance of the entire game, and I'm surprised he didn't get man of the match, to be honest, was Doku. He was so, so electric. He is absolutely fantastic. Absolutely skinned us. I mean, we called it the week before. Clearly, Doku, they were going to put him up against Trent. Why would you not if you were... We're not football managers, but you're going to put your best dribbler against your weakest defender. He had Trent on toast all game. Um, The amount of chances he created, his final ball let him down. I thought personally a few times he he got in the right positions, but his final ball wasn't quite good enough. But um, yeah, absolutely. If he he had been more... um, prolific, shall we say, or, or more insightful with his final ball, it could have been a different game. But he he had Trent on toast all game. And um, I wasn't the biggest fan. I thought losing Mares uh, and signing him wasn't the best upgrade, was in fact a downgrade. Mares was one of those players that was never amazing, but did do a job. Doku, each game seems to get better and better. And he had us all over the pitch, dribbling-wise. He was absolutely fantastic. And we we just couldn't deal with him. And as I say, if he had had a better final ball, we would have been in a lot of trouble. Um, but he, he, he was definitely the man of the match. But 
I'll take a draw. I'd said to you all, all the, uh, the podcast before, I'd take a draw all, all day, every day, uh, away at your biggest rivals. Um, I mean, the thing that was interesting, Haaland, first player to 50 goals, um, or the quickest player to 50 goals, 48 games. Can you tell me who was the previous record holder? Uh, Cole? Correct. 65 games it took Andy Cole. So a ridiculous 17 games better record than Andy Cole. Uh, which, it, and he is a monster, though, isn't it? It's ridiculous. But let's be honest, Andy Cole was pretty good for Newcastle. He went to Man U and he was like a one in six. I'm pretty sure when he was at Man U, his strike rate was one one goal every six opportunities. He was fucking wank. He went from an absolute destroyer to a dog shit player. But Haaland is is just a different caliber of player. But forty eight goals in uh, forty eight goal uh, fifty goals in forty eight games is insane. Plus, you add his assists on. You're probably talking something like. 60 between 60 to 70 goal contributions in 50 games it's insane insane just having a look here one in six did you say but yeah, i'm pretty sure that was it when he was at man U, he was fucking dog shit uh 93 goals in 195 appearances so it's just over one in two not quite that's as bad one as in that. two that's one in two goals but what's his conversion rate <laughs> I don't know his conversion rate. Did they even do stats? Well, fucking Google uh, his conversion 95. rate. Because I can remember seeing a stat when I was a kid that it would, it would take him one one goal every six opportunities. That's how shit he was. He was dog shit when he went to Man U. He was a goal machine for Newcastle, and he was dog shit when he went to Man U. Tell you what, if we could get a striker that were finishing one every two games, I'd be, uh, be over the moon with that, regardless of his conversion rate. Um in in terms of the game, it doesn't really do things for the league. Uh, it, it keeps it open. It's one of those where I think Arsenal fans were sat home rubbing their hands and over the moon with it. Um, I still don't think you'll challenge for the title. I think you'll fall off. I, I don't. I think City will run away with it. I don't think Arsenal will be there. Spurs have become Spursy again because everyone expects that, don't they? Um, there's no one like City in that league, unfortunately. As as good as you can be on your day and certainly against the bigger teams, you always up it a little bit. And as good as Arsenal can be on their day, I just think City are a different class, completely different class. And when you've got someone who is scoring that many goals in that few games in the Premier League, who is treating it like an absolute playground, what can you do really? No, and and just to be clear, even as a Liverpool fan, I don't disagree with you that um, I don't think we've got a chance of the title um, top four for us is a must, and I think we can get that. Um, I think they are far too good for us to catch, given the players that they've got. Um, and second or third would be a result for Liverpool this year for me. Getting in the Champions League, I would take that um, easily. Um, give it. I, I think Matt, you, you're right. City will run away with it. I think Arsenal have. Had a brilliant season last season. They've dropped off this season. Um, But yeah, Man City's title, easy for me. Um, 
I mean, do you want to move on to the Champions League? I mean, obviously there was um, both uh, game legs. I mean, I don't know if there's any particular games. Um, there's definitely no need for us to go through all of them, but any any particular games you wanted to pick out of the uh, the game weeks on Tuesday to start with? I mean, in terms of City, City were an interesting one because they went 2-0 down against Leipzig. Um, I sent a message to my friend, uh, Johnny, who continuously puts these silly bets on. He's always one of these who, you're like, why have you put that on? But he's won the bet. He won the Irish lottery the other week. He won like seven grand, which is absolutely ridiculous. But I told him, 2-0 down, to put City on. I didn't see what their odds were, to be honest. But next thing you know, City are 3-2 up. And you're just like, it's just inevitable. Every single time this team has any sort of adversity, they meet it head on and they absolutely smash through it. Um, big shout out to young boys because obviously you always make the reference that they're my favourite team. I don't know what you're insinuating by that. No idea. But they picked up a 2-0 win. Um, obviously, PSG Newcastle, that was um, what we were talking about earlier on. That was one of those where it's heartbreaking for Newcastle fans. It's delightful for PSG because it keeps them in, in prime position. Nothing really else, to be honest, to, to discuss. Um, Celtic going out again the Champions League every season, finishing bottom. They're not even going to get out of Europe for the rest of the, the campaign. So, yeah, other than that. I mean, anyone for me, I thought Dortmund, good result for them, away to AC Milan, winning 3-1. Um, that was a, a, a an impressive result um, for, the, for, for them. Um, that was definitely um, impressive in terms of um, what they needed to do. Um Obviously, Barca beating Porto 2-1. They were both tied on nine points at the top of the league. So that made Barca go through as uh, as group winners. I don't think whoever's in the group can catch Porto. So Porto uh, as a second. Um, and obviously, as I say, your, your favourite team, Young Boys, winning against Red Star 2-0 um, on that one. But... Um, Wednesday, uh, any particular games you wanted to pick out from Wednesday? I mean, I particularly enjoyed, I can't deny, the scum. And I had a little bet on this, that the the, the scum would not win, that they went 3-1 up and still managed to draw 3 all against Galatasaray. I haven't seen it, but I understand it was two free kicks and Onana fucked up. Again, so on both. What the so fuck is he doing? What I don't understand doing? how he's gone from being such a fantastic goalkeeper last season for Inter to this. It, it's just constant nonsense. Like, I've never seen a downturn in form like this for a goalkeeper ever. I know we've had a lot of issues with goalkeepers in general, but it's never been that they've been absolutely fantastic and worth every penny that has been spent on them to then being oh, this ball has slipped through my arms and gone into the back. The free kick, I think it's the 3-2 the one, is just disgusting. You watch it and he's about, what, 25 yards out. He has a pop. There's no real power on it. It's straight to the keeper. Any keeper worth his salt will just catch the ball. But he just kind of scoops it into his own net. And you just... I don't like either of them. It's not one of those where I can take delight out of Manu not winning this because Galatasaray as a Leeds fan, I've got absolutely no love for evidently and people know the history there so it was one of those where it was like oh, put it on in the background but 
yeah, they were ridiculous, ridiculous as per. Uh, Arsenal obviously smashed um, Lons. I discussed that earlier on that my friend went down, apparently, on his own to London. I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, and then Madrid, because the man, again, the best English player in the world at this moment in time, playing as a midfielder, just seemingly cannot stop scoring. He is unbelievable, is Jude Bellingham. Absolutely unbelievable. Guy is insane. Um, I mean, the numbers that he's doing is from centre mid. I know I think they're playing him as an attacking mid is ridiculous. Um, But yeah, just what can you say about him? I mean, um, Arsenal obviously losing away to Lons and then spanking him 6-0 is probably worth a mention um, on this game week. Bayern at home drawing 0-0 to Copenhagen was a little bit of a surprise. Especially um, nil, the 0-0 nil, nil stopping Harry Kane from scoring with the form that he's been in is, uh, is no mean feat. Definitely. And particularly the other one I've got to mention is Benfica, if I'm not mistaken, went 3-0 up, had a man sent off and ended up drawing 3 all against Inter. So that's a bad result for them. That, that that's That's a bad turnaround. And the game that I I personally watched, uh, Mrs. was watching some fucking Virgin River or some bullshit nonsense that I was watching was uh, Real Napoli because that had a good game written all over it for me. As you said, with Bellingham was uh, 4-2. A good game to watch that. Some good goals in that. Good players. Um, very interesting to watch that one. But, um, yeah. Um, Bellingham find is- you... I'm going to try to find Liverpool on that. I can't um, on the Champions League games. Whereabouts are you? I, I always forget. Um, you, yeah, I think you forgot that we play the most prestigious uh, um, competition <laughs> on a Thursday. Um, the most prestigious competition. Prestigious. Prestigious. Um, you remember that time that you said to everyone who listened to this podcast that you'd smashed or it six double vodka and cokes in. Um, where did you go over a week? Munich? No, it was me that went to Munich. Poland, you went, didn't you? And you said you'd smash these drinks. You've had what two? Can I see there three? And Fuck literally, off, I went... had about four before you joined because I was waiting for your oh, bitch gosh, ass God. to come back from the gym, curling five k with your misses, you little bitch. I've been smashing booze all night, mate. Um, but. Um, in terms of the Europa League, which is the only league that matters in terms of European football, obviously we had a fantastic result uh, with a cruising 4-0 performance against LASK Linsk, which was um, just just easy, just as you'd expect, not being funny, that the, the golfing competition wasn't really... We put out a shit team and... It was very, very easy. Um, good performance from Liverpool. Got another 199th goal for Liverpool for Mo. So still looking for his 200th, but uh, two for gold, Cody Gakpo, which was good. Um, couple to pull out just out of that for me was Freiburg was uh, a little bit of a shock beating Olympiacos 5-0. Olympiacos tend to do pretty well uh, in these competitions, but got absolutely uh, pants down there. Uh, West Ham got a very, very late winner against um, 
team from Bosnia, I believe it is. I'm not even going to pretend, pretend to pronounce their name. Um, and the team for me that if you're looking at Liverpool um, potentially getting through, obviously you've got the teams that are going to come down from the Champions League. The main other team that you would be looking at in terms of concern for Liverpool is Leverkusen. Uh, oh, one again, 2-0. Uh, so Boniface scored again. Abs- absolutely flying, Leverkusen. Looking a, me- looking a really, really decent team. And Xavi Alonso, I'm telling you now, is the next big thing manager- managerial-wise. Their performances this season are absolutely unreal. I, I, have they lost at all this season? I don't think they've... Well, I think it's their best start for 132 years or something ridiculous like that. They are absolutely flying. It did come out, one thing I did see, we talked about it before, that there was this clause in inverted commas that Alonso could go to any of his former teams, which was Liverpool, uh, Real or uh, Munich, and apparently has been denied by Leverkusen. But they are flying. And I've got to be honest, most Saturdays when I have a bet, I have a bet on Leverkusen and they haven't let me down yet. They are flying at the moment and looking very, very good. Um, you've got the the, the, conf, the Europa Conference League, obviously, that the monstrously impressive league that that is. Um, only ones for me, which I think was quite funny on that one, was um, I'd mentioned to you about what a steal I thought uh, Litkovic, we talked about him during the um, World Cup and what a fantastic goalkeeper he looked like and how if it wasn't for Est- uh, Emilio uh, Martinez winning the World Cup with Argentina, Litkovic would have been the keeper of the tournament by a mile, uh, getting thumped 6-1. Um, he, he he moved from um, wherever it was, Zagreb, I think, to Fenerbahce for 6.7 million euros, which is an absolute steal for that keeper. But he didn't have the greatest of games. Um, it was quite funny, that one, because I think you'd sent me a voice note um, very, very shortly before. In fact, let me see if I can find... Uh, let's see the voice note. So you'd sent this across. Yeah, we were talking about that Likovic keeper that was fucking good in the World Cup. So he's gone to uh, Fenerbahce, 6.7 million fucking steals. And then the next message that I looked at and, and sent across to you, I went, oh, he must be doing brilliant. He must have saved a few penalties or something. What, what's he talking about here? 6-1 down. I'm like... <laughs> Right. I thought you were being sarcastic. No, uh, admittedly, it wasn't the greatest of games to highlight his significance as a good signing, but uh, that is definitely a good signing by them, even if he didn't have the greatest of games there. Um, But um, the other game that I did uh, watch a little bit of yesterday, which was certainly a good game to watch, was Marseille-Ajax. Ended up 3-2 to Marseille, but that was a, a, a good Ding dong of a back and forward goals galore kind of European match that you want to watch where you're seeing goals either end. Um, you know, um, not a boring match, not a nil nil, not some bullshit like that. So, um, as much as we slag off the Europa and the Conference League and they are not full of the greatest teams, you do get a few good games that 
that are, are, are certainly watchable in there if you're you've got nothing better to do on a Thursday, which uh, an old AIDSy cunt like me hasn't. It's not much on for boxing, but I am going to have a little bit of a rant. A very small rant, but a little bit of a rant indeed. We've moaned about VAR a lot in the year and a half that we've been doing this podcast. We've also moaned specifically about boxing and UFC and MMA judges, because for whatever reason, they just do not seem to be improving. Katie Taylor beat uh, Chantelle Cameron this weekend. She beat her on points. Uh, I believe it was a split decision, if I remember correctly. Um, But either way, she beat her. She became the new undisputed champion. Um, And it's, it's just, it's so difficult to watch these types of events that happen in Dublin. There was loads of Irish fighters. I think every single Irish fighter on the card won. And I thought the Katie Taylor fight was nonsense. I thought Katie Taylor used her head consistently. She would headbutt uh, Chantel all the time. She would then clinch consistently. The referee would say nothing. There was a knockdown in the first round, which was quite clear and obvious knockdown, which was waved off for no reason. And no one's mentioned that whatsoever. But because Katie Taylor is the face of women's boxing, she's essentially the media's darling and no one dare say anything about her. I should, as a Leeds fan, like Katie Taylor because she's apparently also a Leeds fan. But I just find myself thinking it's not fair, the advantage that these types of fighters get, especially considering she's fought the the old champion now twice in Chantel Cameron. And both of the times have been on her terms. They've been in her hometown. And then the rematch, if there is going to be one, will be in Croke Park. So it's going to be even more on on her terms. And then earlier in the night, Gary Cully for Reese Mould. Reese Mould is a very, very good fighter. He's part of Josh Warrington's uh, staple or stable, whatever you call it. Um, and he is an upcoming fighter. He'd only lost once going into the card. Gary Cully was going back off the back of a, a recent defeat. It was quite a shock defeat as well. And this was for the WBA Continental European title. I thought Gary Cully lost it. And I thought he lost it by two or three rounds. I thought Reese Mould looked far more progressive. He landed more shots. He looked the more active. And again, it was one of these where the judges had, and I put it all over our Twitter feed. You can have a look at how frustrated I got during the, the, the actual event. But the judges' scores were so wildly different. They were absolutely nothing like one another. And you just, you sit there and you just think, well, how have you got to that specific decision? That There's no real justification and they never get questioned on it. They, they never get told, all oh, right, okay, you've got to come out and explain why it was one judge having 97-93 mould, one judge having 97-93 cully, and then one judge having 96-93 cully. It, there's just, it's completely broken, is boxing at the moment, and, and judging in general in every sport, I think, is completely broken. And again, with VAR, I'm bored of talking about it. I think the Chantel Cameron and, and Katie Taylor fight one of the scorecards were 98-92. You're essentially insinuating that she's lost just about every other round. So I'm just bored of talking about it. Let's have some good fights and let's not talk about controversial decisions. Nah, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't watch a fight. I saw some highlights and it didn't look particularly favourable for Katie Taylor. Um, 
she clearly we know we know boxing is one of those the homers always win whoever's at home always wins uh sadly it's very very corrupt in that respect um as I say, I can't profess to have watched it to to know enough to say that she clearly lost one way or the other. Listening to you, you have a pretty good handle on these things, I'll, I'll be honest. And you said to me that you thought she very clearly lost. I would certainly take your advice if you're telling me that. Um, and it's just bullshit. But we, we, we it's, it's boxing. We know that boxing bar horse racing is the most corrupt sports going. It's just completely and utterly corrupt and bullshit and nonsense. So in some ways, I'm not entirely sure why we're frustrated or angry or (laughs) even surprised with it because it's exactly what it is. But I totally agree with you. From what I saw, she looked like she lost that fight. But she's the darling of boxing she is probably boxing's biggest name as a female fighter. Um, she's in the hometown, which she's always going to help as well. So we probably shouldn't be surprised, even if it was complete bullshit. I believe Eddie Hearn called it boxing's greatest night or something along those lines, which you sit there and you just think oh, every time. It, on top of the controversial decisions, I've then got to listen to this promote a dickhead who no one likes no one likes any boxing promoter realistically try to tell me that it's one of the greatest things that's ever happened in the sport let's just disregard everything else that's happened um because that would be the only way that that would be anywhere near the top it's just essentially a robbery so uh, is a robbery one of the best nights in boxing are we ignoring everything that's happened with mike tyson muhammad ali we have been ignoring all the greats of, of history for this robbery in dublin it's not for me. Um, but yeah, I, I, nothing else really for boxing, to be honest. It was uh, a quiet week apart from that little rant that went to get out of my system. I have to say, I'm quite proud of you having got through an hour and 30 minutes of this. I thought you'd collapse at some point because of uh, how much you slurred your words and how much you're getting ready to collapse. Proud makes me, you know, I, I, I can handle my booze. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. I, uh, I I may have had a, a fair few already, and uh, it's been one of those weeks that I thought, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. But, um, yeah, it's uh, been an enjoyable hour and a half ranting, getting our opinions out and uh, talking shit. So I've uh, I've certainly enjoyed it. I feel like I've got to clip that bit where you've just said, I didn't handle my drink. Is that a pint glass that you're drinking of the the rum and coke that you just seem to be down in now? You're not going anywhere. It's not a pint glass, no. Um, (laughs) It's just a relatively rather large glass. But um, this this might be the last one before um, I go up and watch a bit of TV in bed and probably pass out before the missus comes home from... um, uh, the Christmas party and probably wakes me up for a fucking shag, I would have thought. <laughs> what I was going to say, as a little bit more PG, go upstairs, get yourself watching Squid Game The Challenge and get laughing at some uh, weirdos, and then you'll enjoy that, even more so when you're absolutely pissed out of your mind uh, on uh, a few rum and cokes. I, I, I may well do that. I probably won't, if I'm honest with you. I, 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 as I was saying to you beforehand, I think I'll probably carry on watching Blade the series. 
which I just discovered before we started, uh, with uh, Sticky Fingers as Blade, whoever the, that motherfucker is. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think I've got... it. <laughs> <laughs> That's just it's fucking... a good. Don't say it. Yeah, I'm yeah, at the end of it now. I stopped. Before. I stopped. I stopped yeah. myself. I'm at, I'm not that bitch that I managed to stop myself. But yeah, um, yeah, I I, I, I love Blade. I, I was quite fa- impressed to find the series, and um, I'll probably carry on watching a couple more episodes of that before bed. I would have thought. I do feel like we could make an hour long podcast of just you being pissed out of your mind just recording your thoughts it'd probably get more hits than the actual tapping up podcast itself we could do like a spin-off i i think i've got a lot to offer in a pissed up world uh my my world view i think people my, my views would resonate with society these days in a in a significant manner if anyone else has ever been wondering what i have to deal with this podcast is a perfect example this is why everyone should listen to this should make sure that they're passing it on to the friends and thinking, you know what, that that Daryl is an absolute hero. And just for the fact that he puts up with this guy, we're going to spread this podcast around. We'll get loads of viewers on it. We're going to make it go viral and it'll be the next big thing. I feel like you're trying to make out that I come to work pissed every day, which is not the case. Uh, this is the Friday. I've taken my missus to work. I've had a shit week at work or a good week at work. You could argue in a lot of ways. So I thought, do you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to get pissed um, and enjoy myself. So uh, you can let yourself off and uh, get on your flashlight and uh, I'm going to uh, watch some sticky fingers as Blade. I'm going to send you um, that signed Suarez shirt to try and come, or the signed Michael Jordan shirt I'm going to send you to try and convince you to buy it while you're pissed. That would be funny. Don't, mate, I'm never buying anything signed off eBay. No matter what the fuck you tell me, I'm not buying anything. I, I've got mugged off before with a signed robot signature. I'm not buying some bullshit off eBay. And on that note, I put a bit time to end it, as I say. Uh, thanks very much for listening, as always. We will uh, make sure that Ian is, is all right shortly after this podcast. Don't worry. And we'll speak to you next week. Bye.